Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I'm prone to do something very stupid a lot, okay? It's part of my DNA. It's part of who I am as a person. And this began from an early onset, okay? And then you get into the teen years, and then all form of reason just completely flies out the window, okay? So this one day, I was hanging out with my youth pastor one summer. He lives in Cold Spring, Minnesota. Uh, There's all kinds of good lakes and rivers in that area. And he decided to come up with this idea. And if your youth pastor says it's a good idea, you, you listen, okay? Because if your youth pastor says this is a good idea, if it goes south, it's on him. So you're just, you get, it's a guilt-free way to get into something you shouldn't be. And so we decided to jump on the boat, and we were driving down the river, just kind of talking about life and who knows what. And then we get up to this bridge, this overpass, and he says, you guys want to go bridge jumping? And in the back of my head, I'm hearing my dad say, Derek, don't do it. Um, at the same time, I'm like, my youth pastor's right in front of me saying, let's do this. And so I listened to my youth pastor. You're welcome, Dad. So we got up to this bridge, and we are on a river that is super clear. You can see the bottom. It's 400 feet deep. All sarcasm, okay? We get to this bridge. The color of the water is a slightly darker tone than the floor right underneath your feet. Um, I can see about four inches below the surface of the water. And so we get up and we climb onto the bridge and we're looking down. And let me just tell you, it's a lot higher than it seems, okay? I got up there on the edge. I, I, I hooked my legs over the edge. I'm looking down and I'm going, yeah, this seems stupid. We shouldn't do this. And I'm on the way, I'm, I'm one leg backwards and I feel my friend grab me by one arm. My other friend's over here shimmying across and I'm like, well, we're this committed now. Who's got those friends where you're like, yeah, it's ride or die right here. They're pulling me into the best of situations and the worst. Who's got those? Anybody? Okay. We love them and we hate them. It's all good. So they grab me by my shirt and they said, no, we're not backing out now. We're going. And so they said, one, two, three, and here's the picture, okay? Now, let me give you guys a solid piece of advice, okay? If you're going to go into a river, I'm the guy in the middle. (laughs) This, if you're trying to fly away, great strategy. If you're trying to hit water at a high rate of speed, not the best idea, okay? You could hear the slap of the water back and start telling where I came from. I came up and I had a red mark from my wrist to my elbow, about the color of this drum right here, okay? You could literally see the blood vessels rupturing in my arm. And I was like, oh, this doesn't feel good. And then I went... Buddy number two comes up, that was awesome, let's do it again! So we went again, okay? This time I did a pencil dive and it was much more enjoyable, okay? I love to do stuff with my friends for better or for worse. Um, you know, this idea wasn't our greatest. But can I just tell you, I remember this so vividly because I remember sitting up on the edge of this bridge 
looking down and going, I literally can't see anything. Like, I literally, all I can see is the surface of the water, and then it's gone. Because this water is dirty, it's nasty, this is completely blind trust that my youth pastor, because he said, I've done this a million times, it's about 30 feet deep right here, I know this, I fish it, I got my depth finder right here, you're not going to touch the bottom. I didn't trust him, which is why I went with the T-pose, and it didn't work. And, uh, you know, but he told me, like, trust me, it's totally fine, but I still didn't, because I couldn't see what what I was looking at, I couldn't see what I was jumping into. And a lot of times we have this idea of blind faith. And I've found that really, if we have our correct faith, it's really not blind at all. Because when I finally trusted with my own, like, when I trusted and jumped in, I didn't even get close to touching the bottom, I realized, okay, he was right. He was, he didn't know what he was talking about, and it was fine. But the thing that stuck out to me even more about the blind faith is the fact that I would never have jumped if it wasn't for the strong grab of the arm by my bigger and stronger friend, okay, saying, you're doing this. One way or another, you're going, okay? Whether I push you or your jump is your choice. But you're jumping off this bridge right now. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this thing called Among Us. It's a video game that a lot of your kids have played. Maybe you've played it. It's a game all about strategy and completing a task. And so we've talked about how in this game, there is the imposter who's the villain. He's the one who's trying to sabotage you. You have your task, which you're trying to accomplish while the imposter is trying to kill you. But the biggest piece of the game that we have not yet talked about is the number of players in this game. Okay? This is not a mono mono 1v1 type of game. This is where you have a bunch of players trying to accomplish the same task. While simultaneously you have the imposter who's trying to stop all of them. And the number of players is the crucible, is the reason why this game is so successful. Because if you're going to be successful at this game, you need to work together. Because you need to compare notes, you need to talk amongst yourselves, you need to figure out who it is that's trying to sabotage you. Because if you handle that, then you can complete your task in a timely, efficient manner. And so last week I talked about how in a lot of ways, this game is like life. We have the imposter who's the enemy, who's Satan, who's trying to sabotage our life, and we're trying to accomplish a task of living a spirit-filled life, which just basically means we're living for Jesus. We're living in a way that's trying to honor Jesus. We're trying to do the right thing for Jesus. That's a spirit-filled life. But you can't do it 1v1. If you're trying to just defeat the enemy and just trying to just pray your way through it, trying to just power your way through it, you can try and you can go. But what if we work smarter, not harder? What if we looked at the Bible as what the Bible has to say about community, about people, about numbers? Because the reason among us is so successful is because you start to learn how to work together. You start to encourage each other, strengthen each other, point things out. Now, if I were to take a poll in this very room, I bet I would get a whole bunch of different answers. I bet if I asked how many of you, and you can raise your hand if you want, let's do that. How many of you would say you are a person that thrives on hanging out with people? You are an extrovert. Anybody? Okay? Now, introverts in the room, you're going to hate this next question, so just give me one of these. (laughs) Introverts, how many of you like to run a bath? Pull out Netflix, a book, your Xbox controller, and just not see anybody until the cows come home. 
introverts. Yeah, that's me. I don't want to raise my hand because I don't want people to notice me. How many are both? Anybody? I am both, okay? There are times when I'm like, I just need to hang out with people. Let's go get into something. There are times where it's like, if you look at me even right now, I am going to punch you in the face, okay? Like, I'm a pastor. It's okay. Jesus loves me. get all kinds of different things and different seasons of life call for different things. There are seasons where I just like desperately need people more often than not. And there are other seasons where it's like I'm surrounded by people 22 hours a day and so if I can just spend these next two by myself I'm good with that. And so there's all these different things but the thing about community the thing about Jesus and what we're going to talk about today is that even if you are 100% introverted the Bible is littered with community. It's littered with people coming together. It's littered with Jesus working amongst groups of people. And I want to show you um, a story in Daniel chapter 3. There's going to be a lot of scripture here. We're going to unpack this. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you've probably seen me talk about more of the Bible and more chunks of the Bible than we normally do here. And that's very intentional. Um, I want to, in a lot of ways, uh, communicate a message, but also break down how I read the Bible. Because what we're trying to do here at church is not just feed you information to regurgitate. We want to give you information that allows you to chew on it, allows you to just dig into your own faith. And so as I break it down, I want you to kind of see what we see in here in Daniel chapter 3, because what's happening is we have Daniel and his three compadres, his three uh, apprentices, if you will, the, the, the guys he's mentoring. And uh, Daniel is the king's assistant, okay? He got in with the king. He, he interpreted his dream. He got on his good side. He kind of weaseled his way in there. And so now the king comes up with this really good idea. And he goes, you know what? I kind of want some more attention. So I'm going to ha- have all of our... Um, all of our blacksmiths, they're going to construct a huge golden statue of myself. I asked Meg for one of those in our house, but she said no. He says, I'm going to, cons- I'm going to construct this huge golden statue of myself. And when I have my team blow their trumpets and their lyres and all of this stuff, when they make this noise, I need everybody in the whole nation to get down on their knees and bow down to this statue. He's got a bit of an insecurity complex, I think. He is asking everybody to worship him. Everybody. It's not just like, hey, would you guys please do this and worship? He's like, you know what? In fact, if the noise comes and you don't bow down and worship, I will have you killed on the spot. Massive insecurity complex. Okay, this guy is a psycho. So he literally institutes this. And everybody, because they're smart, starts to bow down to this lunatic. And so all of a sudden, the king's little henchman... Hey, king, there's a few guys over there down the road that aren't bowing down to them, okay? They probably don't sound like that, but you're welcome. The astrologers, they're called... Let's get back to scripture, okay? The astrologers come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, King, there are three Jews down the road who are not worshiping you. 
He goes, all right, let's go check this out. He finds out, you know what? That's true. They're not. And when he gets there and he says, hey, you three need to start bowing down. They say, uh, you know what? We worship God up in heaven. We worship Yahweh, which is the God that we serve, you know? And so we're not going to bow down to you, king, because uh, our loyalty is with him. Verse 13, Daniel chapter 3. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. So now he's not saying, I'm going to kill you on the spot. Now he's saying, I'm going to throw you in a furnace. So you get one more chance. Do you want to do this or not? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Who's had a toddler before? Okay. I have a toddler. One time, I decided that he was not being very nice to mom and dad. And so I decided to take the cookie out of his hand to get his attention. My light flashed before my eyes. The kid's face went... He got so mad that you ever had this where he goes... Where there's like literally that, that delay like before the sound comes out. They're so mad that they literally can't even function. King Nebuchadnezzar is the guy, okay? He took away their cookie. He's saying, I'm not going to worship you. Throw me in the furnace if you want. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about that. My God can save me. And even if he doesn't, still not going to worship you, you lunatic. He gets so mad. He makes the furnace seven times hotter than it normally is. Now, furnaces are normally pretty warm. Okay? These I've heard. Seven times warmer, so hot that when his little servant opens up the door to say, Good luck, guys, he dies on the spot because he gets burnt up. It's a little warm. You're welcome for that visual. Verse 24, we're almost done. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. I think it's very powerful that it takes an act of faith to see somebody understand where they're at. I think it's very powerful that when King Nebuchadnezzar is sitting there thinking, I showed them, they're gone, not even thinking a second about what's happening, to look down in a furnace, one that you just opened a door to and the guy had melted right in front of you, to see not only three men who were formerly bound up, tied up, tight, completely free, walking around. And not just that, but with a fourth. One that said it had the likes of the Son of God. There is power in numbers. There's power in being with people. We see that in this story. I can only imagine what it was like for these three men to stand before a king. A king that is threatening them to kill them. Three men who know that if they set foot in that furnace, short of a miracle of God, they're dead. I only imagine what it took to sit there and say, I'm still not going to worship you. And not only that, but I wonder what it would be like if it was just one of them. What if he didn't have his two buddies here? What if Shadrach was sitting here and he was the only one worshiping God? Would he have stood the test? Would he have said, I'm still going to go even if God doesn't rescue me? We don't know. But I'd be hard-pressed to say that he would. I'd be hard-pressed to say that if it wasn't for three bold men sticking to their faith, the little astrologers who were the tattletales, they wouldn't have been so concerned about one crazy guy. They would have just moved on with their life. But because three men decided to make a public statement, all of a sudden they took notice. I wonder what would happen if these three men weren't there encouraging each other all the way until they stepped foot into the furnace. If they weren't encouraging each other all the way when they were actually in the furnace. I wonder what would have happened if they wouldn't have been that bold. There is power in numbers. There is power in being with somebody that you are strong with, that you are tight with. And because through the faith of these three men, the entire faith of the nation changed. These three men convinced the king that this God was real. Because if this God wasn't real, they would have been dead. They would have been scorched. They would have been obliterated. But they're safe. They don't even have their hair burnt. Their clothes are fine. And I saw four figures down in that fire. The strength of numbers cannot be defeated. Community is important. For all of my introverts in the room, you need people. For all the extroverts in the room, you need people. 
for everybody in here who hates people because people aren't always nice, you still need them. Okay? It's not just a spiritual thing. It's not just my belief. It's not just my culture. This is a biologic, scientific fact. Because in 1940, there was a German researcher scientist who decided to run a study on the importance of human connection. And so what he did is he went to an orphanage and he decided to just divide the babies in half. These babies over here in this wing, these babies over here in this wing. And they were just newborn babies. They were young. They were still, you know, classic babies, still needed diapers change. They needed lotion. They needed milk. And so what he did is he goes, I want to study the impact that human connection, human love, human sentiment has on the well-being of these babies. And so on this side of the orphanage, he had all of his helpers just care for the baby. Classic baby stuff. Getting down, playing with them. He's so cute. Changing their diaper, rubbing their feet, giving them the milk, all this different stuff. Loving on a baby. Common stuff. On this side of the orphanage, they didn't touch the baby. They came in, they dropped their milk off, they changed their diaper, wrapped it up, and then left. They had to stop the study before they could get official results. Because they were seeing babies pass away at an unprecedented rate from not getting human interaction. And it was deemed unlawful to continue the research because they were losing so many. Simply because they weren't getting loved and touched and cared for while all of these were completely normal, healthy, happy. We have some lone wolves in the room. Those who are strong. Those who pave their own way. Those who are adamant about, I'm going to do this my way because everyone else is just going to screw it up, get my way, and mess it all up. Don't deny that. That passion, that drive, that determination, that's a good thing. But I'm challenging you that even if it's not for you, if somebody else might need you. This community is a two-way street. It's not just about us getting something from people. It's about us pouring into people. Jesus modeled this all the time. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was was fully human but fully God. With one snap of his fingers, he could have cured everything. He could have cured every disease. He could have done everything. But if you look at the New Testament where Jesus is moving, is preaching, is speaking, he always has 12 disciples around him. And he's having the 12 disciples help him. He's having the 12 disciples hand out the bread that he just multiplied. He's having the disciples walk on the water. He's having his disciples move and vibe with him, not only because he needs the help, because he doesn't need the help. He's doing it to show them this is a two-way street. You get something from me, but you also will pour into me. Community is a two-way street. And God moves in community. Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So many people say, I, just, I wonder what I would ask Jesus if he was right here with me. Like, what would I ask if he was just right here in my midst? And I, I, I always love that question because he is. He is. He might not be in the flesh. It might not be, uh, you know, Goldilocks here with his robes and his glowing aura and his sweet beard that I can't grow. But Jesus is in our midst all the time. 
moving. If you ignore him, he's still there. If you deny he's there, he's still there. If you hate him, he's still there. If you're worshiping him, he's still there. Jesus is in our midst right now in this building. When you walk out the door, guess what guys? He's still with you. And so many times we just we, we separate the two. Like, I need to go worship Jesus and I need to do this for Jesus. But what if you let Jesus into your life? What if you let Jesus pour into you? What if you let Him move on your behalf? What would that look like? They call it the kingdom of God, not the club of God. Because in the kingdom, you all contribute. In a kingdom, you come together. You are an entity. In a club, you can just come in, do your own thing, and step back out. But in the kingdom... You are part of something. You are with something. Community is the most important thing that we have in our faith. Because I don't have the scripture on the screen. But there comes a time when Jesus says, I will die, I will raise again, and I will take my seat next to the Father in heaven. And he does. And it happens before the church is even alive. Jesus says... I've coached you. I've mentored you. You know what it's like to seek me, to serve me, to love me. Go start my church. We see this in Acts 2, 3, and 4. And so Jesus literally is empowering flawed, broken human beings to start his church. But not by themselves. In a community. Together. This guy is really good at this, but really bad at this. But that's a good thing because this guy is really good at that thing you're bad at and really bad thing you're good at. So let's combine forces, right? This person's really compassionate and really tender and care. And this guy is going to sock me in the head if I don't do something, right? But he's really strong, really good, so he can do this. And you start to understand that community is about the betterment of the whole. It's not about glorifying and honoring the individual. It's about bending and molding and shaping so that the betterment of the whole comes together to accomplish one task. Somebody told me before I got married, if you and your spouse are better together than you are separate, then you are one together. Because if you're better separate, then what's the point of being married? But if you're better together, then you will go and do things that you could have never done on your own. And the same exact thing happens in the church. The same thing happens in your job. The same thing happens in your lives, in your families. Your family, your job, your coworker is meant to be one cohesive unit. A unit that argues. A unit that doesn't disagree. A unit that is flexing and tensing all the time. But for the betterment of the whole is working together. Because that's community. And that's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be together. Because in Matthew chapter 4.19, he says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He was talking to fishermen, guys who emphasize of getting fish, but he says, you know what? Now that I've poured into you, now that I've showed you the way, follow me so that you can be fishers of men. Today I want to get you into my personal life a lot more than usual because um, this is not theory for me. This is things that I live by, things that have changed my life. A lot of you know my story. My mom went to jail when I was 13. Shortly after that, my parents went through a really nasty divorce. And family was my everything growing up. 
I literally remember talking to my mom and dad when I was getting to the age of 8, 9, 10 when I started to realize that some parents were divorced and I asked them, would you ever get a divorce? And as good parents said, you know what, honey? Like, no, no, we're never going to do that. It's not going to be us. And so when it happened in my life at 13, my world crumbled. I was alone. I was scared. I was messed up. And it wasn't just a, I came to church now and Jesus is awesome and it's great. And all of a sudden, yeah, perfect. Rainbows, strawberries, and unicorns, we're good to go. I started coming to church with my mom because she found the Lord. And in a time of turmoil, messed up, damage, she found hope. And so I decided to see what that was about. And so I started to go to church with her. And the first day I was there, I remember the youth pastor saying to me, Hey Derek, it's good to see you. No idea who this person was. And I thought to myself, Wow, that's pretty intentional, that's pretty cool. So I kept coming. And over the course of the next 12 years, I started to find people in my life. I got a few pictures up here. I'm going to show you my life. This is, this is my squad. This is my absolute rock. This is the group of people in my life that I cannot live without. The people that I, that I play video games with, I shoot ducks with, that I can pray with. Let me just break it down of some of these amazing people here. Jimmy on the right-hand side of these two pictures, very tall. He's the guy that um, was grabbing my arm when we jumped off the bridge. Uh, I also told a story in youth group who punched me in the soft spot. Great friend. Um, Jake in the middle. The guy with the tie in the top screen. Very personal stuff, so you're welcome this morning. When my wife and I were engaged, we were going through a tough season where she literally said, you know what, Derek, I can't go through with this. I can't marry you. And she handed me the ring. And I remember having the ring in the front pocket of my jeans, walking to Jake's room. And as soon as I opened the door, with tears running down my face, the guy didn't say anything. He just gave me one old solid hug and held me there while I cried there, okay? Now, as dudes, that's not normal for us, okay? We don't typically show that emotion. But in that moment, Jake knew that I needed that. Kyle Kern, one of the most influential people in my life, right next to Jake up there. He was my youth pastor. He was the person who mentored me, who coached me, who really took my faith from just knowing about Jesus to being on fire for Jesus, wanting to serve him and love him. And to this day, I sit down with coffee from him. We talk about youth ministry. We talk about life. We talk about the Lord. We talk about all these people. I met Luke and Caleb in college. My wife and my my son right here. This is my rock because in this community that I have we do fun stuff we get into super trouble okay but I grow every time I'm with these people every time because we challenge each other we encourage each other we talk about the hard parts of life we talk about the great parts of life we talk about the everything in between but in this moment, you understand that there is something different when I sit down with them because all of a sudden the atmosphere changes. All of a sudden things different because I realize, one, I'm not alone. In that Bible verse of where two or three are gathered, oh yeah? You can feel the Spirit. You can feel Jesus sitting down next to you when you're having these conversations. And the atmosphere shifts. I'm going to show you one more group of people. Yeah. I do ministry because I feel like God's called me to do it. But I also am passionate about youth ministry because it has saved my life. I hated going to religion class when I was 13. 
thought of going and sitting down. I remember my first religion class. And, All right, kids, open up your Bible to First Kings chapter 18. I'm trying to find my, my partner here. Where's that? What page is that on? Listen to some guy with a shirt tucked in. Yeah, and in First Kings chapter 18, we read this, and I'm like, dude, not vibing with me right now, okay? Not getting anywhere. But when Rachel right here, the youth pastor I told you about, said hi to me, and took the time to get to know me, took the time to listen to me, took the time to mentor me, and see me for who I would be, who I could be, who I am, and not just the stuff I was going through right now, it changed. It changed everything in my life. Because that's what Jesus does. He gets us together, and all of a sudden now he starts to download things into our life. Jesus uses people to communicate his message. He communicates through the Bible, he communicates through prayer, and he communicates through people. And so if you are needing something, find people in your life that are there for you. Find people in your life that will challenge you, that will strengthen you. Because that's what God wants for us. Sometimes when you're down bad, you just want to be alone. And it's fine to have that for a period. But the enemy likes to isolate. He likes to get you alone. So he can whisper lies. He can whisper deceit. He can whisper false things into your life. When you're in community, he can't. Because even if you are hearing those lies in one ear, you're hearing truth in the other ear. Which is why community is so important. Because you need that truth around you all the time. Moving. Community is vital. I'm going to have Kylie come up to the front here. So many times, finding community is difficult. It's awkward. It's weird. One of my best friends in the world, Jake, you saw on the screen. Remember the first time I hung out with him? I've never felt so uncomfortable my whole life. Because he did not want to get to know me. He did not really care. We were 17-year-old boys, so we're already just kind of baked in to be awkward and socially weird. We kept at it. Life just kind of brought us together, and we started to realize we had a lot of commonalities. We both loved sports. Both loved to watch hockey. Both liked to be outdoors and do things. And over time, that awkward acquaintance developed into a quasi-friendship, and that quasi-friendship t- turned into a friendship, and that friendship turned into a best friend, and that best friend turned into a brother. To the point now where sometimes I call Jake to ask him who I should put in my fantasy football lineup for the week. Sometimes I call Jake to say, dude, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this season of my life. I don't know how I'm possibly going to keep going. What if I just... What if I just moved on to this or did this or did this? And he starts to speak truth. Truth that Jesus is with me. Truth that Jesus is going to go before me. Truth that Jesus gives me peace. Truth that all this different stuff. And it's not a riot act. It's not a beat over the head with the Bible. It's compassionate fellowship. A betterment of the whole. He's not sitting there to pastor me. He's sitting there to just say, Derek, we're in this thing together. Because I'm feeling this too. Which is community. It's a two-way street. 
And again, because it's a two-way street, maybe you don't need community, but somebody around you does. And so maybe you're not sitting here going, I need to find friends. I need to have somebody in my life who can be there for me. If you're not feeling that, maybe somebody is, and maybe you're the answer to their prayer. Maybe you are the person that needs to come along them and say, you know what? I'm not even going to ask you to mentor me. Just come and live life by me, okay? I'm training my dog Oakley to heal right now, which just basically means you sit right here on my, on my leg. No matter where I go, if I go over here, you're here. If I go over here, you're here. You're always right here. We might not be doing anything. We might not be sending him on birds. We might not be doing anything. But you know what? He's here. Because he knows that this is where home is. And he knows that this is where he's safe. This is where he has purpose. This is where he can find life. Is right here, right by my thigh. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Jesus is asking us to do that with each other. Not to treat each other like dogs and say, Come here, boy, heal. Because that would be weird. You won't have any friends if you do that. But seriously... We need people. People need us. You have maybe lived through things that somebody is going through right now. You may have seen things that somebody is going to see in the future. You may be going through something right now that somebody has years ago that they're now ahead of you. And you can have hope that you're going to make it through too. Because when you find community, good, wholesome community, you have somebody before you and somebody behind you. Chris, I love this. He tells me every time we go to a conference, he goes, I want you to go and find somebody that's five years ahead of you and five years behind you. Because I want you to go and gain wisdom over here. I want you to learn from somebody who's seen things, done things, and experienced things you've never seen. And at the same time, I want you to turn around and go over to the youth pastor or the pastor who's just starting a ministry going, am I good enough? Am I doing this? So that you can say yes. You are. Keep on going. I was where you were not long ago. You're going to make it. You're going to do good. And that principle has changed my life. Find somebody in front of you and find somebody behind you. Not to say that you're less than and better than, but to show that together it's the betterment of the whole. It's community. So this morning, will you bow your heads? Will you close your eyes with me? there are people in here right now who just desperately need that touch. That touch that it's going to be okay. That touch that, you know what, God has us. That touch that, you know what, I'm just in this thing called life with you. I think there's other people in this room, God, who you're, you, you're tugging on their heart. You've been saying, maybe it's that kid at work. Maybe it's that kid down the street. Maybe it's that gentleman that you work with that you've seen at the, at the county market. And you just feel like God's saying to you, like, I'm not going to go over there and teach you, but I just want to live life with you. If you're in one of those two camps, I want you to disagree with me in prayer when I say, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need your community. We need the life that you give, God. But we also know that you want to give us purpose. You want to give us reason to live this thing called life. And God, so would you bring people into our life that can encourage us? Would you bring things, encouragement, strength, peace that we're so desperately looking for, God, that we find that through you, through the lives of those that we live with. God, I pray for families that are going through a tough season. I pray for marriages that are going through a tough season. I pray for just situations, God, where they feel like this season's unending. I pray that you would surround us together, God, that you would knit us together, that you would sew us together, that you would bring us together through you. A cord cord of three strands is not quickly broken because God when you tie us together with your spirit with your love together
together. We are unbreakable. So God, would you bring us people? Would you bring us people that we need? People that need us, God? Would we come together so that we can look back a year from now and go that as a person, as a group, as a family, as a marriage unit, whatever it is, may we look and go, we are stronger than we were a year ago because God, you've come into our life, you've come into our situation, and together... We have grown in you and grown in each other. God, we need you. We need people. So would you bring those into our life? Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. A lot of times we like to hang out in the lobby and high five and hug and COVID's really been tough on that. But let me just tell you this. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's grabbing somebody from church that you've seen, that you've kind of had a conversation with. Grab their number. Check in with them this week. Don't live alone. Because we're meant to live together. All right? I love you all. Let's get some music pumping. We'll see you in the lobby. Have a great and successful week. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.